This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Rams Up, an L.A. Rams podcast with a sprinkling of coverage on other SoCal sports teams, college and pro. You can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at ramsup.com. Let's get to it. Greetings, Ram fans. We have a fun show for you today. We will have number nine in our greatest Ram plays in history. We'll share that with you. We also have our final mock draft. Getting close to the real thing. Pretty excited to see where the Rams go with their six picks. We have our special teams analysis. We saved this for last. We expected it to be fairly mundane, but it's actually gotten pretty interesting in the last week or two. So we'll share that with you. And we'll have our first ever Lock and Horns episode. We will chat with a guest who had a problem with something I said on a podcast. But first, a rundown on NFL news, Ram news, and SoCal sports news. We'll get that out of the way here first. Tyreek McGee, the Rams cornerback who was facing suspension, he was going to miss the first five games due to a ped violation. He has been released by the Rams. Not really too surprised. I don't think it really impacts the Rams' plans that much. He was probably a borderline roster guy anyways. Darius Williams has signed his tender. No surprise there either. The NFL has announced they will release the 
entire 2021 schedule on May 12th. That will be interesting. I'm especially excited to see who the Rams open up with at home. The Rams have signed punter Corey Bajorquez. We'll dive into that during our special teams analysis. Very interesting development. And uh, noted recently on Twitter that the Rams have interviewed Houston linebacker Grant Stewart a couple of times. He's a very instinctive, fast, a bit undersized linebacker. I don't think he will get drafted. I suspect the Rams would bring him in as an undrafted free agent. The NFL also announced a rule change requiring receiving teams on kickoffs to have no more than nine players lined up in the what they call the setup zone, which is defined as between 10 and 25 yards from the spot of the kickoff. Previously, there was no limit. The intent here is to increase the chances of recovering an onside kick. They are also announced that they are going to put an emphasis on taunting. I suspect this is a result of some of the things that occurred during the last Super Bowl. Again, don't have a problem with that as long as they get it right. As I've noted in one of my pet peeves previously, NFL refs have a tendency to get the second guy so often. I wonder if we're going to get the second guy taunting, penalized, if that's the result of this. Not a fan of it. There has been a lot of buzz about the change in uniform numbers and what players can wear what numbers based on the position they play. I don't really care that much about this. A lot of people seem to be pretty spun up. I guess it could cause some confusion for offensive linemen and centers and quarterbacks calling out blocking assignments. I think everybody will adapt. I don't really care about jersey numbers changing. I still have a Chris Long number 72, and I think it's kind of cool, actually. Wanted to briefly mention Mark Davis's tweet that caused such a ruckus. And I, I'm sorry, I didn't really see. I could see where it maybe it wasn't that wise because it could be interpreted incorrectly. But I think the intent was kind of obvious. I think everybody needs to take a deep breath, no pun intended, and move on. A lot of fun again this weekend with the Dodgers and Padres. I really had my concerns about Trevor Bauer joining the Dodgers, but as things have progressed, I'm actually starting to like the guy. I loved what he had to say after the Saturday baseball game. That was a game where Fernando Tatis seemed to mock Bauer by covering an eye after a home run. This was because Bauer had done something similar on the mound during spring training suggesting that he was pitching with one eye closed. He had a great quote afterwards, saying that, hey, I don't care if guys celebrate after hitting a home run off of me. They should be allowed to celebrate. If they succeed against me, good for them. Go ahead and celebrate, and I'll do the same. We shouldn't be throwing at people and getting upset when someone celebrates success at the Major League Baseball level. That was kind of cool to see. I think I'm a, I think I'm a Trevor Bauer fan at this point. Someone shared a stat with me the other day that I found incredible. As of early last week, the Dodgers had been favored in 96 straight games. It almost sounds impossible. I suspect that's up to 100 now. Uh, Maybe the Padres are favored in one of these recent games over the weekend. I'm not sure, but favored in 96 straight games. That's incredible. 
And it makes perfect sense, actually, but still incredible nonetheless. And I wanted to point out, okay, so we have a mock draft in this episode, but we also at the very end have some final draft predictions. So please check that out at the end. Let's get into our final positional analysis. We were saving special teams for last. My thinking was it was actually going to be somewhat mundane, boring topic, run through it pretty quickly. But things have started to get a little interesting in the last week or so. But we'll save the best for last within special teams. That would be punter if you're following the news. Probably got to talk about our new special teams coach, Joe DiCamillis. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's taken over for John Bonamego. Last year's special teams performance, I wouldn't call it a train wreck, but it certainly was not up to the standards that we had seen in previous years, on all fronts, really. I think the field goal kicking improved as the year went on. Coverage and return teams were lacking, and Johnny Hecker certainly didn't have his best year. I think even he would tell you that. But we'll see if the new coach can turn it around. He's certainly got experience. He's been coaching special teams since 1988 in the NFL. Seven different teams. He's a former All-American wrestler, by the way. So let's talk about the kicker first. After the slow man experiment failed early last year, uh, the Rams eventually ended up using Matt Gay, brought him in, and he actually did pretty good. I don't know if he's got the distance that Greg the Leg had, but he's a, he's a decent kicker. In 2019, he was 27 for 35 at 77.1% for the Bucks. For the Rams, he improved. He was 14 of 16 for 85%. Smaller sample size, but, but he certainly looks promising. He was 16 of 16 from extra points. And in the playoffs, he was 4 for 4 on his field goals. The Rams are certainly not going to draft a kicker. However, I think they'll bring in some undrafted free agents. And actually, some of the better kickers that don't get drafted might see the Rams as an opportunity to make a team. So hopefully we can get a couple good ones in here. The one that might get drafted is Jose Borregales out of Miami. But guys like Riley Patterson out of Memphis, Evan McPherson out of Florida, and Blake Hobble out of Ohio State, they all should be available after the draft. And I expect one of them or someone like them to be in camp pushing Matt Gay for that starting job. We also lost our long snapper, but we have two guys on the roster right now. Colin Holba, 6'4", 255 out of Louisville. 26 years old. He's actually played in 19 games for the Niners, Jags, and Giants. And then there's Steve Wartell, 6'4", 227. A little on the light side for a long snapper. Probably a little bit better in punt coverage. He's out of Iowa State, 23 years old. He has not played in an NFL game. So for comparison, Wordle, 227 pounds. Holba, 255 pounds. Jake McQuaid, our former long snapper, now with the Cowboys, is 244 pounds. There's several long snapper prospects coming out of college. I'd expect one of them to be in our camp as well. Last year's number one prospect, Blake Ferguson, was actually drafted in the sixth round We'll have to see who's available after the draft. I expect all these guys to be available. Cameron Cheeseman out of Michigan is probably the front runner. It has the top long snapper 
in the draft. Last year's punt returner, primarily Simba Webster, he had a 7.4 average, which is okay, and three fumbles, which is horrible. If you're going to average just seven yards per punt return, you better hang on to the ball. Cooper Cup, he got put back there for ball security reasons after the fumbles. He had a fumble himself, and he's not a return guy. I don't want him back there. I just do not want him back there unless it's just for a fair catch. Cooper, if you're back there, catch the ball and get down, please. The last thing we want to see is him taking a shot to the knee on a punt return that improves the Rams' field position by five yards. Not worth it. So who's going to return punts? I don't think it's going to be either of those two. Hopefully Webster is not listening. I don't expect him to be on the roster next year. So I don't know who's going to return punts next year, but I don't think it's going to be Webster or Cup. Cook returner, kind of the same thing. Webster returned 16 for an average of 21.7 yards. Interesting, Raymond Calais returned 7 for the exact same average, 21.7. And I'm okay with him. I think he will be the guy next year. I think he will be on the roster, and he'll be returning the kicks. I do not have a problem with that. Let's get to the fun stuff. Johnny Hecker, highest paid punter in the league, four-time pro bowler, Four-time Special Teams Player of the Week, including an incredible performance against the Bears. As some people pointed out on Twitter, Hecker basically won that game for the Rams. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that, but it was certainly a critical performance and key to winning that game. But overall, he had his worst season. He really did. There's no denying it. He's under contract for three more years. And if the Rams release him after June 1st, they will save $3.75 million in cap space and that is significant for a team strapped like they are. So you have to ask the question, is Hecker worth keeping? Is his performance last year an indication of a slide that's going to continue? Or was it just a blip in the radar and he's going to bounce back to be the best punter in the league? He was mediocre last year. We cannot deny it. And as Ram fans, it's nice to keep guys around because they've been great performers But if you want your team to succeed and reach the highest levels, you have to be willing to part ways with players whose performance starts to slip. I'm not sure where Hecker is as far as his career trajectory, his punting performance. And then there's the fact that the Rams recently signed Corey Bajorquez. Is it just me or do the Rams have a lot of last names that are very difficult to pronounce? Corey's a local guy, played at Cerritos College and then New Mexico, was with the Patriots on their practice squad very briefly, and then he's played for the Bills for three years, and he's got a booming leg. He's had issues with his distance control, something that Johnny excels at, but just look at their last year's average. Corey averaged 50.8 yards, Johnny 45.6. That's over five yards difference. And net averages, Corey 44 Johnny, 39.7. Corey's not a camp leg. I'm telling you that now. I'm not arguing for parting ways with Johnny. But if they do, and Corey's the guy, I'm okay with that. Let's move forward with the best punter in the house. Johnny's got something to prove. And here's another little wrench to throw into the works. The Dallas Cowboys have released their longtime punter, Chris Jones, the same Cowboys where Greg Zerline, John Fassel, and Jake McQuaid currently reside. 
Up next is our first ever Locking Horn segment. A listener gets to challenge me on one of my comments from an earlier podcast. Bear with us here. We're embracing new technology, remote interviews. The quality isn't quite there yet, but I think the content is. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody. As we mentioned last week, we were going to introduce a new feature called Locking Horns. Locking Horns with a Listener. If you have anything you hear on our on one of our podcasts, anything we say, any draft picks we make, anything at all that you have an issue with, send us an email at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com and we will try to get you on the air to lock horns with me about that. Today we have Travis, who reached out to us about something I said a few podcasts ago. Travis, would you like to share with everybody what I said, or would you like me to? Absolutely, Mark. I, I was listening to the podcast a couple weeks ago, and I heard you say that Todd Gurley was one of the all-time great Rams running back. I, I, I don't know how you could have that, that take after only two good seasons, and then this guy's 26 years old. He's already washed up, Mark. These are terrible. You had C.J. Anderson off the street outperforming in the Super Bowl. I, I just I just don't know. Oh, my God, that hurts. That's going to leave a mark. Uh, <laughs> um, well, maybe I should have qualified myself a little bit, made it a little more clear what I was saying. I probably should not have said he's one of the great all-time running backs Unless I qualified it like this, in his prime, he was probably as good as the great Ram running backs. He was probably as critical and as valuable as any one of them when he was in his prime. And and I agree with you, his prime was really just 2017 and 2018 and maybe part of 2019. But... um, well, can you share with the audience what is your, you're not a longtime Ram fan, but you know a little bit about the great Ram running backs. Who would you consider to be the great Ram running backs? And I should I should mention that um, most Ram fans already know this. The Rams probably have as great a tradition at the running back position as any team in the NFL. So that said, who are your great Ram running backs? Putting you on the spot here. I, I it's all right, Mark. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for this question. So I have the, the top three. I don't think there's any question, right? So I'm not going to name them in order, but just the top three. Steven Jackson, Eric Dickerson, and Marshall Falk. Yes, you nailed it. Bingo. And then the other ones, are there any that you would consider um, maybe should get consideration? Maybe not in that category. I'll help you out here if you don't know, but I'm wondering if you have any in mind. You know, all the other guys were kind of before my time. I'm I'm looking through stats here, Mark. Uh, This Lawrence McCutcheon guy and Dick Bass all look like they've kind of outperformed Gurley in a stats-wise, even when you're looking at yards per carry, you know? Yeah. um, The other one that I would include in that group, um, he gained fame later on with the Steelers, but Jerome Bettis, he would be... um, A lot of Ram fans would call him out. I don't know if I would... So, yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think Gurley, 
I I think what what's special about Gurley though was in those two years he really rejuvenated the franchise and I don't think the Rams would have been that dynamic um, successful team without him during those two years. But point taken, uh, I'm not going to necessarily fully defend my position that he was an all time the one of the all time great Ram running backs, but I would probably put what I would still stand by my statement that in his prime, he was pretty darn good and and will go down in history as, in his prime, one of the best. Do you still have a problem with that? Well, I, I just have a problem. My, my thing is, is it really, he's almost a one-hit wonder, Mark. Because like, when you have a prime, I know footballs are short careers, but when you have a prime of two years, is that, like that's not really a prime. I mean... You know, like it's so it's it's hard to rank him as an all time great. Those were those were good seasons. Those were great seasons. But like, I think if you look back in history and kind of like find these one hit wonders or like even guys with one or two seasons, you know, they're never considered for you know be players or the Hall of Fame. It's never a question. It's just hey, that guy had a really good year that year. You know, that that's that was that was. And I did look at his stats. Uh, I real quickly before this phone call, I looked at his stats compared to uh, Eric Dickerson, nineteen eighty three, nineteen eighty four, Marshall Falk, nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, and you know, Gurley was in the conversation with those guys. They both had more yards than him, but uh, still, he was in the neighborhood. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Well, I appreciate your position. I still, I, maybe as a longtime Rams fan, I'm maybe a little biased and maybe giving him too much credit because it was such an impact. He had such an impact on turning that franchise around uh, the year after Jeff Fisher left. And there are there are a couple of critical plays that I still remember, uh, especially against Dallas. And I think it was week four uh, in McVay's first year where he took a, a slant pattern from Goff, caught it about 15 yards downfield and took it the distance. And I don't know, the, those those plays like that just stamped are stamped in my memory. And I'll probably continue to give Gurley more credit than he deserves. But point taken, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I, he won a lot of people fantasy championships. So I'll give you that, Mark. Yes, yes. And I think for two years, he was probably the best offensive player in football. And that's maybe something someone else will ping me about and want to challenge me on that in a couple of weeks. But it sounds like you got another debate. You know? <laughs> but that's okay. I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind being challenged uh, when you when I'm um, r- rambling on on one of my podcasts. It's not necessarily completely rehearsed, and there are going to be things that come out of my mouth that might be a little wrong, or not necessarily wrong, but worth debate. And that's fine. I don't mind people reaching out and saying, hey, let's talk a little bit about this. I think you're wrong. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not admitting I'm wrong here, though. It's really a matter of of opinion. But um, as a longtime Ram fan, uh, I will always appreciate Gurley. Yeah, yeah, all right, Mark, I'll I'll give you for having me on, you know, I'll give you that benefit of the doubt next time. My apologies. You're putting out a great Great product here for us, you know, SoCal sports fans, so I appreciate it. Okay, I think I'm going to let you go here. Thank you for your time, and uh, check back with us sometime.
All right. Most definitely. Okay. I'm out here, Travis. Time to share the results from our fourth mock draft. I think I'm getting a little bit better at this. I'll let you all be the judge of that, though. And for those of you who have not joined us for one of these, we used the Draft Network's user interface. We make the six original picks the Rams have. No trading, six picks, six players. But it's very important to note that, as I've said many times before, the Rams will end up with more than six picks. And in this draft, if recent history is an indicator, the pick that they will most likely trade is their third overall, their second pick in the third round. I expect them to move back off of that, pick up an extra pick in the fifth round, and end up picking even later in the third or early in the fourth, as well as picking up a fifth round pick. Picking up an extra pick in the fifth round will be critical if they expect to fill all the needs that they really need to fill. With that 57th pick, the Rams' first pick, this is in the second round, number 57 overall, Aaron Robinson, the cornerback out of the University of Central Florida, was still available. That's realistic, I think. I've seen I've seen other mocks pegging Robinson for the Rams. He's probably rated higher than number 57 overall, but it's entirely realistic that he would still be there. I selected Robinson. He's actually ideal as a slot corner, and that's what the Rams probably need most. A little bit thin overall at cornerback, but a guy that can come in and play the slot right away, compete with David Long for that responsibility, makes sense to me. Last week, it was Elijah Molden I picked as a cornerback. This week, it's Aaron Robinson. And as a quick reminder, if you care, my earlier first-round picks in the three previous drafts were Baron Browning, the inside linebacker, Creed Humphrey, the center, and Elijah Molden, the cornerback. Get to the third round, number 88 overall, the Rams' second pick. And this is a guy I haven't really considered prior to this mock, but the more I read about him, the more I look into him, I think he'd be a great addition to the Rams' linebacking core. That's Pete Werner, the inside linebacker out of Ohio State. He's a three-down linebacker, very dynamic. He's improved every year at Ohio State. Played for one of the best teams, best defenses in the country. Strong against the run, sideline to sideline a little bit. Very athletic. Pete Warner, the linebacker out of Ohio State. Late in the third round, the Rams select again, number 103 overall. And again, I select a guy that I really hadn't considered up till now. Kendrick Green, the center out of Illinois. He's pegged as a little bit of a developmental guy. And if the Rams like him and the Rams think he can get into that starting lineup pretty quick, I'll take Kendrick Green, the center, out of Illinois. Quick note, though, I did read somewhere, and I don't know how reliable this is, that the Rams are counting on Brian Allen being the center if healthy. But I do think they'll draft a center. I really don't expect the Rams to draft a center with one of those first two picks, but late in the third round or the third pick. I think it's entirely possible. In the fourth round, I still think the Rams need to add a young vertical threat. And the guy I've mentioned several times prior to this, 
the receiver I like, Amir Smith-Marset out of Iowa. He's there. Reasonable value at the spot. So I selected him. In the sixth round, Dan Moore, the offensive tackle out of Texas A&M. I was tempted to take Demetric Felton, as I have in previous drafts. He was still available, but having already added Marset didn't make sense to me. And with the last pick, I selected Teron Jackson, the edge out of Coastal Carolina. Now, overall, I really liked my selections here. Cornerback, inside linebacker, center, wide receiver, offensive tackle, and edge. Clearly, the one thing that was missing was interior defensive line, defensive end, someone to come in and fill that void created by the departure of Morgan Fox and Michael Brockers. So I may have to rethink that. But as I've said many times, virtually every time I do a mock draft, the Rams are going to have more than six picks. I'm doing no trading here, just going with a straight six picks. But I fully expect them to do some wheeling and dealing and end up with seven or eight picks. One of those extra picks would surely be a defensive end or a defensive lineman to fill that Time to continue our countdown of the Rams' greatest plays. Ten greatest plays from my perspective. My favorite ten plays from many years of watching the Rams in L.A., St. Louis, and back in L.A. Last week, we got to start it with our five honorable mentions. They are listed on our website, ramsup.com, if you want to check those out. And then we revealed our number ten, Greg DeLegg's 57-yard field goal to get us into the Super Bowl. And now we will move on to number nine. And let me set the stage for this one. I'm going to take you to January 23rd, 2000. The Rams were coming into a playoff game with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At that point, they were 15-3 and over the season in playoffs. Tampa Bay was 12-6. and The Rams came into this game favored by 14. But we should have known better because the Rams had established an identity as a high-flying offense, but they have, but it was also clear that they seemed to struggle with, with strong physical defenses. Tampa Bay, stout defense led by Derek Brooks, Hardy Nickerson, Rondé Barber, John Lynch. The Rams, of course, led by Warner, Falk, Bruce, and Holt on offense. Pretty good defense, too. London Fletcher, Todd Light, Dre Bly. Lots of turnovers in this game. Warner threw three interceptions. Todd Light and Dre Bly both had interceptions. The first play from scrimmage was actually an interception. Warner tries to throw a center screen to Falk, and it's tipped and intercepted. Bucks take over at the 20, but have to settle for a field goal. And that's going to be a running theme here. Rams' defense actually played very well in this game and kind of bailed out the offense. So after the turnover and holding Tampa Bay to the field goal, the Rams drive 74 yards, 16 plays, and they have to settle for a field goal. And then the first play of the second quarter, still tied 3-3. Tampa Bay at their own 20. Shotgun snap over Sean King's head through the end zone. King actually bats it out of the end zone. Gives the Rams a safety. They're up 5-3. And then the Bucks down 5-3 in the second half. Take their opening drive, 66 yards, 9 plays, and settle for another field goal. Puts the Bucks up 6-5. 
The Rams go off on a 17-play drive from their own 13 to Tampa Bay's 24. This is the one drive in this game that the Rams' high-flying offense, greatest show on turf, started to look like the team we had seen all year. But it ends with an interception by Hardy Nickerson. The Bucks have the ball back. The Rams get the ball back late in the third quarter, and that drive ends with another interception, this one by Brian Kelly. A couple of punt exchange, and the Bucks have the ball back at the Rams' 49 with 9.20 left in the game. And Ram fans, at this point, got to be feeling pretty nervous. Kevin Carter gets a sack, work done, short run, and the Bucks are faced with a third and 11. And that's where Dre Bly intercepts King and returns it to the Bucks' 47. So this is it. This is do-or-die time. For the Rams, they need to cash this in, go to the Super Bowl, or go home. Rams pick up a first down or set up at third and four at the Bucks 30 and call timeout. And that's when my favorite play, number nine, occurs. A 30-yard pass from Warner to Prohl for the TD. Sort of a high, soft heave that Warner throws up for Prohl up this left sideline of the end zone. Really tough catch. You can see Prohl has to kind of hesitate to block off the cornerback and makes the catch, goes down on his knees, barely in bounds, and holding onto the ball. I watched DeMarco Farr talk about this play, and Farr's a pretty good storyteller, and as he puts it, he was watching that play, and as the ball was in the air, he saw Bruce and Holt midfield. He saw Falk nowhere near the ball, and he thought, eh, Warner's throwing this one away, and then saw Ricky Prohl make this catch and and he was just flabbergasted that it was Prohl with the game-winning touchdown. At least at this point, it's a game-winning touchdown. Bucks actually have another shot. They drove down to the Rams 35 before turning the ball over on downs. This was that drive where they might have had a better shot except for that, that controversial reversal. Bert Emanuel, originally it was called a catch. Refs overturned it, setting up the Bucks with third and long and then fourth and long. And then the incompletion out of the back of the end zone, and the Rams take a knee to win the game. So number 10 and number 9 are both plays that got the Rams into the Super Bowl. This might have been higher for me except for one thing, and damn youth hockey. I was watching this game with my son, and he had a youth roller hockey game. He had to head out for the hockey game. So we're listening to the game in the radio, pull into the parking lot, And the Rams had the ball on this last possession. And we had to make a decision. Are we going to make a run from the car to inside the facility where they surely had the game on their big screen TV or to wait it out on the radio? My son makes a run for it, dashes into the hockey rink. I'm sitting in the car. I hear the play on the radio. And by the time I get in, of course, everybody's celebrating. At least the Ram fans in the facility were were celebrating. And my son was going crazy. So I didn't get the visual on the catch real time. Heard it on the radio. So I had this underlying sense of disappointment that I had missed the play. There was probably just that handful of plays on that last drive that I missed on television the entire season. And it happened to include one of the greatest plays in Rams history. I'm dinging that play, maybe a little bit unfairly. Still, it's number nine all time for me next week we will get to number eight
We didn't have our fearsome four questions this week. However, we are going to close out our last episode prior to the 2021 NFL Draft with our fearsome four NFL Draft predictions with respect to the Rams, of course. I'm going to put my street cred on the line here with these four predictions. Prediction number one, the Rams will not draft a punter, kicker, long snapper, running back, or quarterback. I don't think I'm really taking too big of a risk here. The running back is the one that I hedged on a little bit, but I'll leave that position in this list. Expect to see some undrafted free agent running backs in camp, though. Prediction number two, of the first three picks, the Rams will draft a cornerback and a center. Not sure which order, but two of the three will be a cornerback and a center. My bet is cornerback with that first pick, center with the third pick. Prediction number three, the Rams will draft one receiver, and that receiver will either be a speed receiver or a long receiver who can win 50-50 balls downfield. Prediction number four, and this one's going to be like hitting the lottery, but I will give it a shot. I'm going to pick what positions the Rams will draft. And the first part of this is I'm going with seven picks. I think the Rams will end up with seven picks. So if I get that part wrong, I'm going to get the rest of this wrong. But of those seven picks, two of them will be defensive backs. Two will be defensive linemen. One will be an offensive lineman, one wide receiver, and one linebacker. So those are my four predictions. We'll revisit this after the draft, as long as I did well. If I did real bad, we probably will just forget we ever did this. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach out to us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website at ramsup.com. And please, subscribe and give us that five-star rating. We really appreciate it. And remember, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there.